You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadi alladhina astafa wa ba'd. وَإِذْ قَالَ لُقْمَانُ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَإِذْ قَالَ لُقْمَانُ لِبْنِي يَا بُنَيَّ لَا تُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ Respected, esteemed listeners on Marqa Sahaba, voice of the Ahlu Sunnah, that uh, tonight, MashaAllah, on a legal eagle, we will be discussing something very pertinent, uh, something that is our community uh, up in arms, uh, and not only the Muslim community, also non-Muslims as well. People are worried about uh, this proposed uh, Bella Bill, and the Bella Bill meaning the Basic Education uh, Amendment Bill, uh, which will be passed soon, inshallah. And uh, to discuss this in detail, and the pros and the cons of all of this, and how is it related, and how it will affect your child's future uh, education, and all of these things, even religiously, uh, we brought in our two esteemed experts and uh, panelists, and uh, they are no strangers to the airways of Marcus Sahaba, voice of the Ahlu Sunnah, and that is Hafiz Firoz Bouda, and our esteemed attorney Yusuf Dokrat. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh to both of you, and how are you doing this fine, beautiful, mashallah, evening? Alhamdulillah, yes. So, uh, you know, the verse that I've recited, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates to us the incident of uh, Luqman the wise, uh, where he instructs his child, he teaches his child, he empowers his child. And he identifies uh, the greatest problem out there, going for the jugular directly. And uh, he says to his child, Ya bunayya la tushrik billah, that, oh, my beloved son, uh, do not make shirk and partnership with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, that is what a father is supposed to do. A father's in charge of education. A father should impart beneficial knowledge to his child and also protect him from all these ideologies and systems out there. So shirk is not only a, a, a concept whereby one ascribes partners unto Allah. It is also there to identify different systems and uh, isms and ideologies and Luqman alayhi salatu wasalam he identified this and he says la tushrik billah don't make shirk oh my son inna shirka ladhumun azim because shirk indeed is uh, the greatest form of oppression so uh, we can deduce from this you know that it is the father's responsibility to ensure that the child has the right aqidah and uh, the child will be uh, sort of uh, prepped for what he will face in the future especially with regards to education who he will take from where he will drink from and who will be his tutors so uh, the available uh, g uh, to our panelists i think that you can enlighten us and conscientize us uh, what does it entail what we propose is our read from the available straight from it uh, uh, identify certain portions which we believe uh, require discussion uh, particularly from the perspective of our Ummah. And then uh, Brother Yusuf will uh, then, then identify the core problems. Uh, and then from there we will uh, then take the discussion into the Akira issues that this throws up and the difficulties it places our children in. So um, I'm not going to read everything in the bill. Obviously it's a long bill. Uh, the, the parts which are good, like, you know, financial controls of the school or the public service are first uh, and as a Slapping, pinching, or scratching with the hand or any object, kicking, shaking, throwing, 
throwing objects at, burning, scolding, biting, pulling hair, boxing ears, pulling or pushing children, and forcing children to stay in uncomfortable positions, forced ingestion, washing children's mouths out with soap, denying meals, heat and shelter, forcing a child to do exercise, or denying or restricting a child's use of the toilet. These examples are not exhaustive examples, they're just some examples. Then uh, the second part of the definition section which I want to highlight uh, is a proposed definition of home education. And this says, home education means a purposeful program of education for a learner alternative to school attendance, which A is provided under the direction of the learner's parents, primarily in the environment of the learner's home. B may include tutorial or other educational support if necessary, secured by the parents on specific areas of the curriculum followed by the learner, and C meets the requirements for home education contemplated in Section 51 of the Act. And you'll see later on that Section 51 is designed to control home education, and I'll also uh, explain this a little bit uh, as I go along. So that's, part, that's the two definitions that, uh, that I want to highlight. Then Section 2 of the bill, which seeks to amend Section 3 of the bill, uh, will no doubt cause uh, uh, contention. It says, subject to this Act and any applicable provincial law, Every parent must cause every learner from whom he or she is responsible to attend the school starting from grade R on the first day of the year in which such learner reaches the age of six years and not leaving school until the last day of the year in which such learner reaches the age of 15 years or will complete grade 9, whichever occurs first, provided that the learner who will turn 6 after 30 June must start attending grade R the following year. Then it says, subject to this act, uh, so, so basically, compulsory school attendance from the time is 6 until 15. Then it says, subject to this act and any other applicable law, a, any parent who, without just cause and after written notice from the head of department, fails to comply with subsection 1, is guilty of an offence and liable on conviction to a fine or to imprisonment for a period not exceeding 12 months or to both a fine and such imprisonment. Or any other person who, without just cause, prevents a learner who is subject to compulsory attendance from attending a school is guilty of an offence and liable on conviction to a fine or to imprisonment for a period not exceeding 12 months or to both a fine and such imprisonment. And uh, subsection 7 says, any person who unlawfully and intentionally interrupts, disturbs or hinders any school activity or hinders or obstructs any school in the performance of the school's activity is guilty of an offence and liable on conviction to a fine or to imprisonment for a period not exceeding 12 months or to both the fine and such imprisonment. So, uh, so that doesn't only apply to, uh, to the parents, to the child, the general rule is you must be in school from 6 years to 15 years. If you're not in school, someone is going to jail. It could be the parents or someone else. So if you're in a madrasa and, and, and that madrasa is not registered and not recognized as a school, then you could potentially be uh, liable to a criminal uh, uh, conviction. Mm. Then, uh, uh, Section 4A uh, says, and this is Section 3, uh, and 4A says, Monitoring Learner Attendance. The educator, principal, and governing body are responsible for promoting and monitoring the attendance of learners at school. Mm. So basically making them uh, a police force. Uh, and then, if you go to Section 5, uh, the school must have a language policy. I'm not going to deal with that too much. Uh, Section 8. Uh, this, this says, uh, subject to the Constitution, this Act, and any other, uh, any applicable provincial law, a governing body of a public school must adopt a code of conduct for the learners after consultation with the learners, parents, and educators of the school. A code of conduct referred to in subsection 1 must be aimed at establishing a disciplined and purposeful school environment dedicated to the improvement and maintenance of the quality of the learning process, taking into account the diverse cultural beliefs, religious observances, and medical circumstances of the learners at the school. Nothing contained in this act exempts the learner from the obligation to comply with the code of the school attended by such learners. Despite paragraph A, the code of conduct must contain an exemption provision in terms of which a learner or the parent of a learner may apply to the governing body for exemption of that learner from complying with certain provisions of the code of conduct on just cause shown. So if, I'm just giving an example, if there is something in the life orientation uh, uh, sexual curriculum that you don't like, it's not the parent's decision anymore whether that child can be exempt. The parent must now apply to the governing body for exemption. 
and then, then there's an appeal procedure to the head of department, and then you can go to court. But, but the point is that the power of parental control over the morality of the child and education of the child is taken away from the parent and given to the head of the school and then the head of department and then the court. Then section 8 says, notwithstanding uh, 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 the, uh, sorry, uh, I don't think I need to read that. That's about, sorry, yeah. This says, uh, unless authorized by the principal for legitimate educational purposes, uh, no person may bring a dangerous object or a drug onto school premises or have such dangerous object or drug into our possession on school premises or during any school activity. Now, that's really not contentious. The next one, it says, no person may bring liquor into public school premises or have liquor in his or her possession or consume or sell liquor on public school premises or during any public activity. Now, that's fine. But then it says, a C. Notwithstanding the prohibition contemplated in parallelity, the head of department may, upon application from the governing body, to supplement the resources of the school, permit the possession, consumption, or sale of liquor during any school activity, whether it is held on or away from the school's premises. And the governing body of a public school may, upon receipt of an application from any person, and in consultation with the head of department, permit the possession, consumption, or sale of liquor during any private or religious function held on the school's premises. So, there, so there's an exemption for this, and again, it's not it's not in the hands of even the schoolmaster. Now, it's like the head of department must apply to the governing body. Uh, so, there, there's this leeway for alcohol consumption. And then, uh, Section 10 says corporal punishment is abolished, and no person may inflict or impose corporal punishment to a learner at the school during a school activity or in a hospital accommodation, uh, after accommodating learners of the school, I've read the definition of corporal punishment. Then it says, any person who contravenes section one, guilty of an offense, and liable on conviction to a fine or to imprisonment for a period not exceeding 12 months, or to both a fine and such imprisonment. So uh, it's completely outlawed, and attached to it is a criminal sanction. And then the last part of it, which I think is going to cause a lot of uh, panic in the in, in, in Muslim families is the regulation of home education. And this says in Section 37, which seeks to substitute Section 51 of the Act, it says the following home education. 15.1 is the parent of a learner who is subject to compulsory attendance as contemplated in Section 3.1, chooses to educate the learner at home. Such parents must apply to the head of department for the registration of the learner to receive home education. The head of department must approve the application and register the learner as contemplated in section, subsection 1 if he or she is satisfied that 1. Education at home as provided for in this act is in the best interest of the learner. 2. The parent understands what home education entails and accepts full responsibility for the implementation of home education of the learner. And 3. The proposed home education program is suitable for the learner's age, grade level and ability and predominantly covers the acquisition of content and skills that is comparable to the national curriculum determined by the minister. And B, if the parent undertakes to make educational resources available to support the learner's learning, monitor the learner's academic progress, arrange for the learner's educational attainment to be assessed by a competent assessor annually up to the end of the year in which the learner reaches the age of 15 years or completes grade 9, whichever occurs first, and against the standard that is not inferior to the standard determined in the national curriculum statement and submit to the head of department at the end of each phase and as evidence of the learner's educational attainment, the learner's assessment report signed by the competent assessor. In considering the application, the head of department may require a delegated official to conduct a pre-registration home education site visit and consultation with the parents and learner to verify the information supplied in the application documentation and to provide support where necessary with the application process. There's a lot more. I'm just going to read the explanatory memorandum okay. on the bill, which clarifies what the intention of this is. And this is the homeschooling. Uh, this says that Section 67 seeks to substitute uh, Section 51 of the FASA to provide clarity with regard to home education. The amendment makes it clear that learners may be educated at home only if they are registered for such education. A parent must, at the end of each of the three school phases, 
notify the HOV if he or she intends to continue educating the learner at the home. The criteria that the HOV must consider when deciding whether or not to approve an application are also set out. The amendment, amendment provides that the HOV may, when considering an application, require a delegated official to conduct a pre-registration site visit and consultation with the parents and learner to verify the information supplied in the application documentation and to provide support where necessary with the application process. It also sets out the main responsibilities of a parent who wishes to educate his or her child at home. The amendment stipulates that in the case of learners who are not yet registered for home education, application must be made within 30 days after the section comes into operation. Provision is also made for time limits within which the HOD must respond to an application for registration for home education. The amendment further stipulates that home-educated learners must be assessed annually by a competent assessor and set out the options for a home-educated learner after reaching the age of 15 or after completing grade 9. Clarity is also provided to ensure that the learner who is educated at home after the age of 15 or after completion of grade 9 will not be at a disadvantage. In the case of a learner who will be writing the NSC, the parent must, before the learner embarks on any study, or in grade 9, ensure that the learner complies with the requirements stipulated in Regulation 7.4 of the regulations pertaining to the conduct, administration and management of the National uh, Certificate Examination for a learner receiving home education. The amendment further provides that the HOD must decline to register a learner for home education if the HOD is satisfied that the parent does not meet certain requirements or that home education is not in the best interest of the learner and that the HOD may cancel a learner's registration for home education after investigation, the HOD is satisfied that home education is no longer in the best interest of the learner. Before so cancelling a learner's registration, the HOD must satisfy certain requirements. The amendment provides that the minister may make regulations relating to the registration and administration of home education. The proposed amendment states clarity on the powers and responsibilities of officials and of the parents of a learner who is educated at home and propose steps to protect parents who want to educate their children at home in the further education and training phase, grades 10 to 12, and, and will ensure that the final qualification obtained will give the learner opportunities for further study at institutions of higher education. So those are, by and large, this is what I think we can discuss and what has raised some concerns in the community. And perhaps then uh, Yusuf can then speak more about these areas that I've read out. Tazakala so much, you know, wow, what a bill. So uh, some people who are ill-informed might say that it's a good thing. Uh, in this way, we will ensure that uh, every child, uh, it is mandatory upon him to attend schooling, thus receiving uh, an education. You know, that is from the, from for, for looking at from one point, some people actually made such comments. But they're not looking at the, the nature, the content of what type of education will be given to our children. Uh, I don't even know who write these uh, type of laws, you know, uh, draconian and satanic, uh, and of course against Islam uh, as well. So uh, whoever's responsible for this, uh, there might be agenda, and there's always an agenda behind this. Uh, so if uh, the bull doesn't kill and destroy your child, then definitely the, the mandatory vaccine clause in their will. And that I will discuss on medical files this coming uh, week, inshallah, with our panelists of uh, doctors uh, on Marka Sahaba, inshallah, on medical files, the mandatory vaccine clause inside the Bella Bill. So, uh, Attorney Yusuf, that, you know, one point that uh, Hafiz Feroz mentioned here is uh, how Muslim schools will be affected. And I'd like to point out here to our listeners that in Islam, Imam Nawawi mentions in the Sharah of a Muslim, uh, Sahih Muslim, that uh, education is wajib upon the father to impart to his child. So it's the father's responsibility to educate his child and uh, to teach him uh, about Islam, Iman, Akhlaq, Akid, and all these things. Uh, he goes on to state that, <coughs> apologies, in the absence of a father, that responsibility is shifted to the mother. It becomes a wajib and it becomes uh, her duty. She's duty bound to ensure that uh, the child receives a good Islamic upbringing and education. Uh, even if it means, says Imam Ta'ala, that it needs to be taken out of the, the share of the child's inheritance to pay for such an education. So uh, now I'm hearing that uh, uh, for basically from 6 to 15 years old, uh, if you are not registered or your madrasas 
not registered, etc. That means uh, there will be no admission uh, of new students uh, to certain Madaris who are not registered. So they will only be able to uh, take applications uh, and applicants over the age of 15. Uh, I think uh, Attorney Yusuf, uh, if he can just shed some light on how it will affect uh, our children's Islamic upbringing. And uh, this all falls under the theme and the the the, the uh, title of uh, the war on our children. G. Yeah. If I can just sketch a context for the legislation, because I think if we if we discuss anything that's taking place anywhere in the world, we need to appreciate the context within which these things take place. And, and the listeners would be acutely aware of certain you would be that internationally there is a move towards uh, a, libera- a liberalization of moral issues uh, and and schools have become the interface for the liberal liberal policy in other words and, I, and I'm, I'm being kind when I speak about liberalization. I mean, in the end, I'm mm. speaking about this version of debauchery, but, but just for purposes of our discussion, uh, we, we see that uh, uh, on, on the issue of sexuality and sexual morality, for example, um, public schools are forced by legislation to adopt a certain position, uh, um, a non-judgmental, inclusive approach uh, to questions of sexual morality and so on and so forth, uh, and, and those are uh, th- th- those requirements emanate politically, internationally, and then the constitutional norms of the society. Now, within that context, uh, Muslim parents have to ask. The first question Muslim parents have to ask is, "What is my responsibility to my child?" And that responsibility, you say, it's the safety of my child. And what do you mean by that? And because safety. Uh, has, has various components. There's the notion of physical safety. There's the notion of emotional safety. And there's significantly the, the, the important component of spiritual safety. Um, and very often when we, when we speak about uh, environments and so on, we don't pay sufficient attention to the significance of the spiritual enclave that we are obliged to provide for our children. Uh, and and we, we, we say we must be practical, we throw them in the lion's den, and then we complain about the outcome. So so that, that's the context within which to understand the legislation. Is how, how, does that, how does that affect Muslim parents? How does that affect us in our decision-making in relation to how we deal with, uh, with our institutions? And in that context, homeschooling has become... Uh, an avenue that can be used by parents to try and protect their children. Uh, because, albeit that there are, will still be obligations to follow curricula as they are at the moment, the environment that is created in the homeschool is self-created. Uh, the the, the, um, the therapy that is given to the children is given now by the parents or somebody over which the parent has supervision. That's a significant, that's a significant counterbalancing uh, avenue for the Ummah to adopt. And the disturbing component of this legislation is its attempt to curtail that and to regulate it further. And it now, and as Feroz correctly points out to me, it now enters the realm of policing that activity. So while many, many Muslim parents took the, uh, recognizing the difficulty with the systems and the fact that it was simply getting worse, chose the homeschooling auction, you now have a bill that seeks to police the parents who want to exercise that option. But even before you get to policing, you now have to go through a process where you must be authorized to provide the homeschooling. So... The erosion of parental power is absolutely clear. And so you started off with the ayat in Quran and you continued speaking about the obligation of the parent. And what we have in these societies, uh, in these societies that rule other than by the law of Allah, 
is the gradual and sometimes not so gradual erosion of the rights and obligations that Allah enjoins on society and its replacement with their own concept of what would be sufficient for them. So, so that's really your, your, your fight at the moment. How do you retain, how do you retain your ability to protect your children in the context of legislation that is pulling you into a, an, an environment uh, more and more that is going to subject your children to really unhealthy, physical, emotional, and deeply unhealthy spiritual environment. So, so it's the homeschooling question that is really key in this. And, and anybody who has an interest in education should be objecting to very strongly against the policing and the regulation of, or, or regulation of, of homeschooling. In fact, what should really be happening is, is a greater avenue for homeschooling to burden in a society where Muslims must be able to protect their children. So, so that's the first thing that we say. Yes, you know, I totally agree because education in Islam is very, very important. And, uh, you know, the first verse that was revealed was Iqra. So it's all about uh, reading, empowerment, etc. But uh, the, the, the education system itself should lead to something greater and uh, something spiritual. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines this in the glorious Quran. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that save yourselves and your family, uh, your offspring, etc., from the fire of Jahannam. So education uh, is, is such that the outcomes of that uh, should be freedom and emancipation from the fire of Jahannam. And uh, that's why we send them to an environment, a school environment, where they can be uh, sort of uh, motivated and molded and, uh, you know, come out a different type of uh, person. And Sayyidina Ali, when he uh, commented on this verse, he said that is to imbibe good qualities, decorum and character and akhlaq into your children. But uh, now you have to, uh, you have to actually uh, uh, send them to school and you're opening up the doors of an education system of integration and acceptance, meaning they will be integrated into a system and uh, they will have to accept everything that they are being taught. Uh, not only accept, that they don't have the right to object to it. So uh, if a, a, a boy, for example, sitting next to you identifies as a girl, you will have to accept it as the new norm. Uh, whatever happens in school, you will have to accept it. And uh, parents and uh, guardians, they will have absolutely no say. That is what Attorney Yusuf is uh, saying, that uh, that's the policing aspect of it. So this goes against the teachings of Islam because Rasulullah Sallallahu has said that the children has a right over us. And that right includes, of course, the right to education, but the real proper education that will uh, turn a normal, ordinary human being into a, a, a productive Muslim with sound beliefs and uh, recognizing who are the demons, who are the uh, the, the people corrupting uh, the earth and causing mischief, etc. But when you throw them in at the deep end into a system, education system like this, then uh, what are the alternatives if homeschooling will be attacked as well? The environment, uh, Feroz mentioned earlier, uh, they will be send, uh, sending uh, assessors to uh, individually assess the environment as well, meaning they'll be screening the parents also uh, in this case. Uh, so so how, how do you get away? Uh, is there any other alternative before this law is signed off? And what other options are there for us as um, the Muslim community of South Africa? G. I may just continue, I mean, just going from what you're saying. If you take the first issue that we discussed, you couple it with the compulsory school-going age, now, now reduced, it's just a reduction in age now, I think, to six years old. So, so six to 15, compulsory. Now, that would, that would be, uh, and I'm not in the education sector, but, but for my limited knowledge, that, that, that would be considered your formative year. Uh, the years in which you acquire uh, not simply skills and basic foundational knowledge about uh, about subject matter, but it's also uh, impressionable periods in your life where you learn concepts of right and wrong. Now, if if parents are forced to educate that period to institutions that have a moral position that is entirely diametrically opposed to what Islam is. 
what 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 do we think is going to happen 15 years from mm. what what will that generation be now there, there are some people who said you are uh, you know don't don't it's not really so serious look there's so many people that have been through the system and they've done fine and they you know, it's, you know that's that, that's the gambling house answer to you saying gambling is bad because they point to the one millionaire, but they don't point to the five thousand people who lost their homes. And it, it's the same thing. The cost, the cost to the owner is something that is completely to their own devices, uh, and and having been exposed to, to things that are antithetical to Islam throughout the day, there isn't the balance that takes place in the home. This we must be we must be aware of. If we as parents have deviated, how are we going to be providing the balancing to our children who are now subjected to these issues in school? So so then the performative question, the fact that it's compulsory, and of course to make matters worse, the the, the obligation on the parents to to send their children to the schools uh, if, if they are not authorized to do homeschooling carries with it a criminal offense. And, and, and so now, this is a complete erosion of your authority as a parent. Uh, it's a complete erosion of your ability to make decisions about children who are six and seven years old. It's being, it's, it's not being taken away from you, it's being ripped from you, being wrenched from you. And, and, and we need to be, we need to have hera for our children. Mm-hmm. We, we must, we must be in a position now where we're saying that we can't, we can't subject our children to this without a fight. And, and, and so you ask, what must we do? Well, the first thing is there's got to be wide-scale, strongly worded protests. You see, if I, if I were to ask you, or if I were to take any person in South Africa, any parent, and I, and I, and I ask them this question, would you send your child to a school that taught the superiority of the white race over other people. I would imagine, Mufti, but wanting to speak on behalf of anybody, that the instinctive reaction of almost everybody would be absolutely not. And if I were to ask, would you send your child to a school that were that where it was necessary for them to learn of the superiority of the Jewish people? Uh, your answer would be absolutely not. Never do so. Why not? Because it's against everything I stand for. But if I say to you, subject your, your, yourself to your child to an environment where they thought that there aren't two genders, that they must be accommodating of that which Allah has said you shouldn't be accommodating of, that they must be accepting of that which Allah has said you should not be accepting of, why, why would you as a Muslim parent not react with the same horror as you would to the race groups? Gee, Jazakallah, uh, uh, Yusuf, you know, uh, this thing started long ago. I spoke about it more than a year. I think uh, gender was the first thing that uh, they attacked when they started introducing uh, uh, neutral gender, neutral toilets uh, inside uh, these uh, public schools. So they already, they were sort of conditioning the minds of uh, these learners uh, to accept uh, that uh, we are gender neutral and uh, from there it, it just sort of mushroomed and exploded to where it is right now i also understand that they're still busy uh, adding and subtracting clauses etc uh, before the final bill will be passed but islam has given us guidelines with regards to education how to raise our children and uh, of course upbringing as well and uh, yusuf mentioned that earlier of uh, uh, when he spoke about uh, tarbia so tarbia is is, is um, a more uh, how can i say it is a word that uh, comprises of, of many different meanings. It is not only the actual uh, text and education that you find in books, but together with that, it is also a certain type of upbringing that uh, has characteristics of akhlaq and akida and all of these other things. So uh, if you send your child to a school, 
knowing that the child is going to transgress the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're basically in a catch-22 situation as we, as we speak right now. That uh, if you send your child, then you will be violating the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you're sending your child to a to an institution that has been demonized. And uh, if you uh, hold your child back, then you risk uh, possible jail time. So there's like no way out right now until this bill is uh, approved in a cabinet, you know. So from now until that time, I, I understand we should uh, uh, protest, uh, we must uh, write submissions, etc. But what if that falls onto deaf ears? What other options, viable options, do we as, as uh, South Africans uh, have? Because many... Uh, people that I spoke to, and I'm sure the listeners as well, uh, that uh, they thought about uh, homeschooling, but it will also be regulated. So even if we teach our children at home, it still needs to be the government curriculum. It can't be a curriculum from a madrasa or something that we uh, have personally uh, rubber stamped, you know. It must be endorsed by the minister himself, and then you need to get his permission as well uh, before you can keep your child at home for homeschooling. So uh, they, they're catching us from all sides, Harvey uh, Feroz. I mean, uh, if you just look at what's happening in the world, uh, in order particularly to control the upbringing of believing Muslim children, uh, and, 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 you know, while we are back, we're moving towards what is happening in other countries, and I think it's important for me just to talk a little bit about it. So, so let, us look at, uh, let us look at what they're doing now. The first thing they took away from the parent is your right to discipline your child. Mm. So that's gone. There's no right of corporal punishment. If you discipline your child, you're going to go to jail or you're going to be subjected to a fight. So that is taken away from the child. And the state has now imposed its morality on the parent, regardless of their religion. This is the state law. There's nothing anybody can do about it. The second thing they've now done is now they're creating and they're controlling the education of the child and the moral upbringing of the child. And in accordance with their own, their own laws, if you look at the United uh, Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we don't believe in this, but, uh, but I'm just saying, uh, uh, their own laws, uh, Article 26.3 says, parents have a prior right to choose the kind of education that shall be given to their children. They're not even respecting their health. South Africa has ratified this, but they're not respecting this. So, so let me give you a practical example, and I want you to think forward now of how things are going to work, uh, and I'm going to give you an example of where things are, so, for example, in the UK, uh, uh, in terms of an anti-radicalization or what is called the PREVENT program. So I just want to give you an example. So somebody sent me this. Uh, I haven't verified it, but they said that this is from, what I'm going to read out, was from a school examination of a grade seven to nine child, uh, and this was asked in the examination. Now, whether whether this is happened here or happened elsewhere, uh, it doesn't really matter to me. I'll, I'm giving this to you as an illustrative example. So let's imagine a world where you now got, uh, uh, you're homeschooling your child, say it's legally and you got permission, whatever. Now, in the school curriculum, this is what they are teaching. I'm, I'm reading from this examination question. 2.1. Define the term transgender and mention three reasons why parents may have difficulty understanding the concept of being transgender. 2.2. Provide two self-awareness techniques that parents could suggest to their children so that they may discover their true self. 2.3. Discuss two ways in which positive and accurate portrayals of transgender in the media could enhance the self-esteem of transgender teens. 2.4. State two ways parents could fulfill their social responsibilities by gaining more knowledge surrounding transgender and, and explain why it is important. 2.4, suggest and explain three ways in which parents could support their children who identify themselves as transgender to deal with the consequence of bullying. Now, imagine in a world where this bill is passed, you now got permission to homeschool your child, and here comes along your assessor. Mm. Because what this says is, uh, uh, is that uh, 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 all of the homeschooling must be subject to regular assessments by a competent, assess competent assessor annually up to the end of the year. So now your assessor is coming into your home now. So that's, so that's already an invasion of your privacy. You've got no right 
to, to choose who comes and assesses you, the department or the school comes and assesses you. Now, what if that person is a gay person? Mm. What if the chosen assessor is somebody who is a transgender person or a gay person? Then he's going to ask you, okay, now tell me, what are you teaching your child about promoting transgender values or recognizing genders outside what we believe is halal and haram? Quran is very clear, male and female. But in Western society, they have now recognized 70 or 80 genders. And I'll read some of the, <laughs> the genders that they recognize in these societies. I mean, uh, I, 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 mean I, can't, I can't even pronounce some of these words. How do you get to 70 uh, or 80 maybe. genders? Uh, 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 I, 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 I will look for a document. I just, sorry, no, I got it here. Sorry. So, so uh, in one article that comes from medicinenet.com, 72 genders are recognized. So what they've done is they've said gender is not determined by the physical attributes of the child, but it's determined by what the child believes the child is or the person is. So it's not no longer identifiable from your physical attributes, but by your mental attributes. So now, because gender is no longer a physical thing, but a mental thing, you can now choose between 72 genders. A gender, Eddie gender, uh, Adamus gender, a, a, a gender that is indefinable or indomitable. I don't even know what it is. Hero gender, also called previous gender. The gender identity changes according to one's surroundings. Uh, ACSP gender, also called I can't even uh, uh, read this word. It's a type of gender identified derived from aesthetic, to gender, this is based on the person's mood swings or fluctuation, Alexi gender, the person has a fluid gender identity between more than one type of gender, although they cannot name the genders they feel fluid in, uh, what the hell does that mean, <laughs> um, Amari, Amari gender, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this, having a gender identity that changes depending on the person one is emotionally attached to. MB gender, having two specific gender identities simultaneously without any fluidity or fluctuation. It goes on, Muftisaf. In yeah. this article, 72 genders. I can't even pronounce these genders. I never heard of this. Mm -hmm. now, 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 imagine a scenario where your assessor comes in, it's a chosen person chosen by the department or a person chosen by the state, and is now assessing your child for what your child believes about gender identity. Right? And your child is now going to uh, be, uh, 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 narrate to them that we believe from the Quran that there's only two genders, men and women, and that everything else is haram, and that it is sinful to, to uh, practice homosexuality and to practice lesbianism and all of these other things. I, I don't even know where, where it's gone. Mm -hmm. so, so now the assessor is going to say, look, uh, you, you are not, you, your child is not, it's not in the best interest of your child to be homeschooled. Why? Because your child is being radicalized uh, with Islamic values which are inconsistent with, uh, with the national curriculum or the national values. So we canceling your homeschooling. So it's given the power of the state to, to actually come into your home and supervise the moral upbringing of your child and who knows what powers they're going to have? And who knows what questions they're going to ask? And who knows what they're going to ask your child? And who knows whether you're going to be allowed to stay in the room when your child is being questioned? So all of these things now, you are, you are being subjected to a host of oppressive measures by some assessor who you haven't appointed, who you don't know who, what his Akida or Akida is, you don't know what they believe in, coming into your home, examining your child, and ultimately, Muktisab, they're going to examine your child for radicalization. They're going to ask, to what extent is your child holding on to the hot coals of the deep? And if they find out you're teaching your child to do that, they're going to take the education away from you, and they're going to cancel your education, and then you are caught between a rock and a hard place. You either send your child to the school and to learn all of these values against Islam, or you go to jail. So what are you going to do? Uh, this is where the state is pushing you to. Now, in Britain, it's gone even further. Because, you know, they don't call this, this, uh, this Bella Bell a radicalization bill, but, uh, or anti-radicalization bill. But in Britain, they're quite open about it. They got a program called Prevent. And what that program does 
is that it allows a teacher to assess at school whether a child is being radicalized, and it allows then the teacher and compares the teacher to call the anti-radicalization unit, and then if that happens, the, the child must be interviewed, and if there's any sense that the child is being radicalized, in, and, and what is radicalization, there are a whole lot of factors uh, uh, determining how, how a child is radicalized, and they've got a list of things. So, for example, on that list is, do you believe that homosexuality is fine? Now, if you don't believe in, uh, uh, that homosexuality is fine, that is a sign that your child is radicalized, and they're now taking the child away from the parents and giving them to kofar parents. Now, that is not here. But this is a stepping stone to ultimately getting there in 10 years' time. Because once you, once you let these people into your home and to assess your child, then there's going to now be reports to say the Muslim community are radicalizing their children and they, and, and, and they, and they're teaching their children conservative values. So then what, what's going to happen? Someone's going to introduce another bill to parliament. How do we control radicalization of children? And that's what's going to happen. The next step after this, the next step is to give control of the state over your child and to take your child away from you. And there have been cases in Britain where the child has been taken away from parents and given to kufar parents because the state believes it's in the best interest of a child that the child not be brought up in a Muslim home but in a Kafir home. This is where we're going. And this is the difficulty with this, with this type of thought. So, so uh, 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 in, in the Quran, we know, uh, Allah I said, the male is not like the female. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that shaitan, he said in, 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 in Surah Nisa, and it's beautiful that Allah names Surah Nisa, Surah Nisa. You can't even name that now in Western uh, uh, systems because there's, I don't know how many genders. But, but in, the, in, in Surah Nisa, verse 119, the, uh, Allah says, uh, shaitan says, and I will mislead them, and I will arouse in them sinful desires, and I will command them so they will slip the ears of cattle, and I will command them so they will change the creation of Allah. This is what they do in Sat. They are, they are trying to change the nature of how we identify right and wrong, how we identify men and women, how we identify genders. And from there, where does it go, Mutusa? So, uh, so now they're changing gender identity. They've already changed the definition of marriage. So they, 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 they changed it from uh, marriage between men and women. I mean, uh, men and women now, men and men can get married, and women and women can get married. The next step, they're going to say, no, you can have what is called a pansexual marriage. So what is that? You can have 10 people in one marriage, one nikah, uh, 25 years and five females. And the state must recognize this pansexual marriage because it's the choice of the people. Right? So that so the definition of marriage is gone. Now they've legitimized uh, homosexual marriages. Uh, so so what has happened with, with definitions? I'm just giving you an example. So I read an article where this article portrayed the situation where two men got married and what they did is they want to adopt a child. So they decided that one of the the, the, the gay marriage partner's mothers will carry the baby for them, the surrogate baby. So one of these two, the article didn't say if it was the son of the mother or the partner of the son, then went to place his uh, sperm into the mother's egg, and this mother then gave birth to a child who's now adopted by the two gay, uh, the, the, uh, the people in the gay marriage. Now, now, what is the child to, to is the child, uh, uh, the granddaughter, or, uh, 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 granddaughter of the mother or the daughter of the mother? Mm. And what is the child's relationship with the, with the brother? Is the brother the brother or the brother the father? So all of it, Mustisab, uh, all of it is disintegrating into, uh, into liquid. There's nothing that this system of theirs allows you to hold on to. So that's where you get, once you, once you interfere with the law of Allah, you get a situation where there's 72 genders, and nobody even knows how to pronounce these genders, and nobody can hold on to what is certain and, and on to uh, and what, what is, what is uh, uh, prescribed for us by, by our Creator. And this is exactly what Shaitan wants. This is exactly what Shaitan said he's going to do with society. 
is going to command us to change the creation of Allah. And that is our concern as, as, as Muslims with this world and, and, and with the sexual morality that's been taught to our children. I've, I've recently come across another article where, the, where in America there's a grade four book and, it, and it, it's, it's titled Sex Education. Mm. And you open that book, there are pictures of gay couples, diagrams of gay couples having intercourse on their beds taught to grade four children in the United States. Now, now this is where it's going. And, we, and, and, and so, what, so what, what the state is doing is, we, we are concerned about the upbringing of our children. We don't want them, their akida and their morality to be corrupted by all of us. But the state is now going to force our hand, mm-hmm. taking away our right to educate our children, supervising that right, and then uh, uh, cancelling that right. Mm-hmm. So now, as I said, they cancel corporal punishment. They're going to cancel home education because that's in the power of someone else. And where to from here, Muqtisab? Where to from here? Ultimately, the core of it is they want to take Islam away from your children. This is my own personal view. They want to corrupt your beliefs, your akira and tawhid. They want to corrupt your Islamic values. And this is the ultimate agenda of all of this nonsense. Of I, 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 I just think it's, it's, it's only you. Longer than what I wanted to, but I wanted to just give you a picture of the world Gee. with the bellable and... Uh, and, and looking into the future, where, where what's the next step after the bearable to control your children? And we're going to prevent, we're going to where UK and United States is, and that is my fear uh, uh, that is happening. No, no, no. That's our view as well, and I think the view of many, many other people. Firstly, that uh, we're not going to allow anyone pass our gates, so uh, we have the right to that, you know. So if uh, a gay assessor comes and he identifies as a gay person, any sane Muslim person would not even open up the doors or the gates to his house, let alone letting that the person come in and assess his child. So there already you will be criminalized for that. Uh, what is even more? Said, you know that uh, uh, is the fact that we are allowing all of these things to happen without any uh, input from our, or, or critical input from ourselves. So I miss the good old days, uh, you know. And the good old days is the days when we took to the streets and uh, we had civil disobedience and uh, we brought the, uh, brought the apartheid regime to its knees by literally making the country ungovernable when it came to such issues. And uh, but today people became so passive and. Uh, they're accepting it uh, without any question and thinking that there's some good in it for them. But we know that it is an attack on Islam. And uh, Yusuf, uh, this is uh, directed to you. You know that in Madaris, you know that uh, part of our curriculum is also uh, a, a chapter called Kitabul Jihad, whereby, you know, in the classical books of Hadith, that this chapter comes uh, there in, in fiqh books as well, uh, books of jurisprudence. So Jihad is discussed in detail and uh, how to deal with the kuffar in war in all of these type of things. So, uh, of course, uh, that will then be outlawed by this uh, draconian bill uh, called the Bella Bill. So we won't even be able to discuss uh, or don't even discuss or teach uh, books uh, that has anything to do with uh, jihad or standing up against uh, tyranny and oppression, etc., because uh, that will be deemed as radical. So even from that point, it becomes then clear to, to, to us, the listeners, and to the people out there that uh, this is a direct attack on Islam, and not only on Islam, uh, it is an attack on humanity as well. Mokhtisa, quite correct. The real, the true issue that you pointed to, Mokhtisa, is when you live under a system of thought, um, by its very nature, it will suppress you again. The two cannot coexist. And those people who speak about the coexistence of Dawood with Islam really with, with respect don't understand what the issues are. The one has to dominate the other. And the sooner we as an Ummah learn this, uh, the better it will be for the Ummah. But they, as you correctly point out the question of jihad, if you take an entire generation of people, of Muslims, who are not exposed to the aqidah of it and to the fit of it, you've, you have completely uh, change the deen for those people. And when they ultimately hear about jihad, almost feel it's from, it's from a different religion. 
and what, what gets replaced. You see, what is up? We, we haven't considered the extent to which what people call the wonderful constitutional values have impacted so negatively on our identity as Muslims. So we don't, we understand Islam to be constitutionally compatible. You've been taught to believe that the constitution is holy and if Islam is holy, therefore the two must be the same. But when you, when you find out that Islam is not the same, what you're really doing to your children is you're creating doubts. And that's why it's so important for us to expose our children to the wahi right early on from their childhood. So if COVID taught, uh, and the bulum that followed COVID with the vaccines and so on, if it taught us anything, it's how they elevate science hmm. to accord it the respect of wahi and how they take wahi and they mock it and they suppress it and they step all over it. So during that, that horrible period of Willem, if you suggested that you were scientific, your views were taken seriously, you were elevated, even if you were talking absolute hogwash. And if you stood with the Wahi, you were considered backward, uh, uh, a mad person, uh, a rebel without a cause, whatever you want to do. Well, however you want to term it, but that's what happened. So we've seen it happen. You may recall, and this is something that I'd like to raise. I mean, again, I'm not an educator, so I don't know the inner workings of the, of the state. And maybe, you know, if we can speak to educators later on, we'll understand. But there used to be a time, I remember from the school, school era, uh, our school era, where if they spoke about evolution, it was called the theory of evolution. Mm, and sometimes you were, you were told it's Darwin's theory of evolution or the Today, you don't get the, the theory of has been left out. People understand it as a matter of fact. And if you understand that as a matter of fact, and you then are exposed to what the dean says about it, you create enormous consternation amongst young people around this issue. Because for all their lives, they've been taught a certain thing as being the truth. And now you come in some in some alim when they are 16 and 18 and you say actually there was the creation of Adam and Islam. There's no such thing as evolution as far as humanity goes. And, and kids become genuinely confused. Because we have abdicated our responsibility. We have allowed them to be poisoned for 15 and 20 years. And then we, we, we get absolutely shocked and horrified when they spew out the fault that they've been taught for 20 years. So, so the time is now for the Ummah to say, as you've been, as you've been saying, uh, foreshadowing, the people must take a long-term view. They have to take a long-term view. That what, if this trajectory continues, where will we be in the light in 10 years or 15 or 20 years? And that's a horrifying thing. And if that doesn't catapult us into some kind of action, then what will? Can I just add what something to Yusuf with another example? So, so many of us, uh, or many families take their children out of school to do gigs for two or three years. Between those ages that are now prescribed as being compulsory schooling years, right? Yes. So we don't go to registered school. That's the, that's the best time to learn your gigs, six to 15. After that, the chances of you being able to memorize the Quran, get less and less with your commitment and your ability to memorize. So those, those years where you can become a hafiz, now you have to be in school. So you, so you can't, you, you, and, and any, anyone who's done here knows that there's a major difference between a hafiz who's learned with school and someone who's taken the two or three years to make that Quran uh, solid because, you know, that, that is the best way to teach a child gives. Now that is gone now. You can't take your child out into a youth school because you're not doing homeschooling. They can't qualify as homeschooling. So now what they're doing, it's criminalizing. Yes. You're taking your child out of school for three years to do youth. Now they say to you that this is the freest country in the world and that you have freedom. What freedom do you have if you can't decide what's best for your child and if you decide something against the state, you're going to jail. Mm -hmm. What freedom do you have? They are lying. They are eroding your freedom with every piece of legislation. They did it in COVID, like, like uh, Brother Yusuf said, and they're doing it with this bill. 
So where is your right to take your child for two years out of school? You can't do that. You have to homeschool your child. Gee, our line just got cut. I think it's load shedding that side in a in Johannesburg, you know. But uh, nevertheless, inshallah, that uh, we will continue part two of uh, this discussion next week because uh, we still are uh, sitting with questions that are unanswered and uh, we need more clarity. So, inshallah, we thank our esteemed guests uh, that uh, Afis Firoz uh, Bouda and uh, Attorney Yusuf Dokrat for their valuable input tonight. Uh, yes, parents, you've got some tough decisions to make you and me uh, because the safety of our children, the well-being of our children, and uh, as I mentioned, it, it is sexual grooming that will take place here, and I've mentioned it in another lecture also, that for this year alone, according to News24, there were four recorded incidents